Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today is Eric Johnson, former head coach at Boston College and University of Denver, was an assistant at BC before that, at San Diego, a few other places as well. Eric is, uh, he's just one of the really good guys in our game. Uh, You would struggle to find anyone to say anything less than great things about him. So I'm excited to get on with him. He's got a cool story with how he got into coaching, how he got to where he got. Um, he's He's a guy who's overcome adversity in his life and is just absurdly positive at all times. So I'm going to stop talking so I can get him talking and for you to listen to him. We'll be right back. This is The Jump Around. Welcome back to the Jump Around, and joining the, me this morning, uh, former Boston College, former Denver head coach, Eric Johnson. Coach, I appreciate you taking some time on a Friday morning to get on here. I know you and I were talking beforehand, before we hit record, but uh, very excited to be talking to you, so thank you for, for being willing. Oh, it's awesome to be here. I'm a huge fan of yours, and uh, it's, it's an honor to be included. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to go through to the beginning of your story, if you don't mind. You're born in the Midwest, and, and I'm going to ask you a, a very short question that it will probably uh, it will probably deem a long answer, but how does a guy from Wheaton, Illinois, end up in San Diego? Tell me everything in between there. <laughs> oh, man, well, uh, I don't know how exciting my story is, but um, yeah, my, my father, when I saw was born in uh, in in Illinois, my father was a high energy physicist, believe it or not, at the Fermi lab in, uh, in the Chicago area. And so, yeah, lived in, lived in Wheaton and then his physics career took him to Northeastern. Uh, so we actually lived in Boston for a couple of years when I was young. So I'm a, I'm a legit Red Sox fan from like age four or whatever. Carl Yastrzemski was my favorite player and all this. And then, uh, then he moved out and worked out at, at Stanford for basically my whole life. So I was in Northern California, uh, from kindergarten on. Uh, my father, believe it or not, was actually employed by the University of Wisconsin as a visiting scientist <laughs> at Stanford. They have a linear accelerator there where they run particles at each other from uh, from a two-mile-long building and see what happens inside the atom. So uh, needless to say, I never really understood very much about what my father actually did for a living. <laughs> but I had a pretty, pretty cool T-shirt when I was young. I went to a conference with him. And it said, uh, uh, International Symposium of Lepton and Photon Interactions at High Energies. And I, I got my butt kicked a lot when I wore that shirt. You know. But uh, I'll, I'll, tie, I'll tie the physics into the basketball world. Um, so when I was a, when I was a kid, um, you know, obviously my dad wasn't a great athlete, but, you know, he taught me shooting form based on, you know, parabolic arc and rotational ballistics and angle of incidence, increasing the size of the target and keeping your, uh, you know, keeping your fundamentals, uh, you know, coplanar. Uh, so that there wasn't, you know, your elbow wasn't out and they were, you know, adding in uh, Z vectors when you just had needed X and Y. And so, you know, I'm at basketball camp as a elementary school kid and, you know, coach is talking about right side body alignment and keeping your toe and your knee and your right elbow and your wrist and your, you know, follow through on, you know, one line. And I raised my hand. And I said, yeah, you want your shot to be coplanar. <laughs> And, uh, you know, coach looks at me like I'm crazy. He says, shut up, kid, you know, go run a lap or whatever. Right. And so, uh, um, anyway, so I grew up in, grew up in California and, and then, uh, played division three hoops at the university of California, San Diego. And, um, 
worked my way through school running intramural sports. So I was like, you know, the, the started as a referee, ended up being a sports supervisor at, at UCSD uh, at the time. Intramural sports were probably a bigger deal than intercollegiate sports. And uh, so I was much more known as EJ, the guy who could get your inner tube water polo team that coveted 11 p.m. <laughs> Friday night game or, uh, you know, get your softball team in the in the, uh, you know, the, 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 pay, the sports page of the school newspaper or whatever. Um, and I used that as a way to pay for grad school. So I drove my little Toyota Tercel across the country from San Diego to the University of Rhode Island for a, for an, a graduate assistantship in recreation as a way to pay for grad school. Hmm. And during that first year, uh, I knew I wanted to coach. And so I walked into uh, Al Skinner, the men's coach at the time uh, at the University of Rhode Island, and just said, look, I, you know, I, I, I created a resume best I could at 23 campsite work and stuff like that. And he had gone to college with one of my um, one of my associate ADs from um, from UC San Diego. So I dropped the name, said, hey, I'll sweep your floors. I'll be here at six in the morning. You don't have to pay me a dime. I just want to learn. And I don't know if you know Al very well. Uh, I've worked with Al uh, or across from Al for, for years. Uh, he's not the warmest, fuzziest guy ever. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And we had this awkward silence for a while. And I said, okay, well, uh, here's the resume. You know, call me if you're interested. <laughs> Let me know. So I said, well, that didn't go well. So I walked over to the women's office, gave her the same spiel. And she said, um, well, see, we've got a 6'2 center on our women's team. And nobody else on the team over 5'11". You look pretty tall. You want to be a practice guy? I'll let you come to coaching meetings. I'll help you learn, all this kind of stuff. I was like, uh, yeah, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so back then, you could use practice guys that were um, – they didn't have to be undergrad. So I was a first-year grad student, and she gave me practice a set of practice gear and a, and a, and a pair of shoes. So I come to practices, and I started – I loved it. I, I, you know, I was at every practice. I'm working out the players before and after. Uh, and after that year, she lost a couple of assistant coaches – um, hired me as a, you know, as a full-time assistant and, and, uh, 24 years later, I was insane. still doing it. And <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> so, insane. so that's kind of the, that's kind of the 25 cent version. Yeah. It's, it is remarkable how it's just, it's little things, right? Like the, the fact that if it wasn't Al Skinner across the office, maybe you would have ended up in men's basketball, right? It's like just the, the circumstances, the minor things that if they were a little different, it would have changed the whole story arc. So it's, it's just cool how it all comes together like that. No question. And it, you know, everybody's got some of those little, you know, those, those little nuances to their story. Right. I, I, I've often said exactly what you said, Blake, right. If Al, if Al was a nicer guy and it kind of like said, yeah, you know, whatever, come on kid. Right. I, I might still be a, assistant video coordinator somewhere and you know, <laughs> who knows where, um, but I'm thrilled that I got the opportunity in the women's game and, and it became a big part of who I was. And it was, you know, I found a real mission and purpose in so many of the women in particular that I worked with and for who had, I, you know, it, cause I mean, this was 1994, 95, right. When I was, I was coming out of undergrad mm -hmm. and, and I, at that point, you couldn't read about women's basketball unless you really, really worked on it. I mean, it wasn't in USA Today. There wasn't, it wasn't on ESPN. So I didn't really know anything about women's basketball other than I was friends with all the women's players at, you know, at UC San Diego. I mean, I, I, I obviously had a time. I'm married to a USA volleyball player yeah, yeah. who was the national player of the year in women's volleyball. So I, I, women's athletics has always been something near and dear to me. But as far as women's basketball, college women's basketball, I knew very little of the history. So there's this line of demarcation, Blake, where everything from 1995 on, 
I know everything, <laughs> right? Because I lived it, right? <laughs> yeah. And before that, well, I would go to these Final Fours and all the history of the game and stuff like that. You know, it was so eye-opening to me. Just all these women pioneers that helped, uh, you know, get get women's basketball some you know some shred of respect back in the seventies and all this stuff. And it was just just amazing. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask about this later, but since you brought it up, this is good. You and I share several similarities, but one of them is that we are both the inferior athlete in our own household. So, <laughs> but you're, yes. you're, yes, you alluded to your wife uh, played at Ohio State as well. How? When did she come in the picture? How did how did your guys' uh, story arcs uh, crash well, into each other? Look, you're 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 much better at this than you even than you even know. So you started out this whole thing by mentioning Wheaton, Illinois. Okay. All right. So here we go. Right. So so I'm uh, I'm I'm a you know senior or whatever men's basketball player at, at UC San Diego, and one of my uh, high school friends was uh, sort of a, a borderline USA volleyball player, and you know she had the, the, the USA volleyball team was based in San Diego. So one summer, she my, my high school friend is out there training with a bunch of college all stars uh, that is sort of the future of USA volleyball, and I'm hanging out with my roommates, whatever, and so we agree to bring our bring our you know our crews to the beach one day and so uh laura my wife now ends up being one of those and and uh we're at the beach hanging out and i just you know i'm you know, whatever hanging out when laura's sitting there and i just said hey where are you from right best best line i could think of at the time like, right <laughs> and uh and she says i oh, you know a little suburb of chicago you probably never heard of it you know because we're sitting on a beach in san diego sure. and, and i said i'll try me she says wheaton illinois and i said i was born there Come and she on. didn't believe me uh, and i said no no really uh, and she's like, well, where did you live? I'm like, oh, I don't know. We were, all, I was only three, right? You know, when we moved away, so yeah. I don't really remember. She's like, yeah, uh, uh-huh, San Diego Beach Boy, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> so I'm like, no, 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 no. Give me your number. I'll prove it to you. I'll get the facts, right? So, you see where I'm going with this, boy? Yeah, right? So, I, so again, it, it is taking me 22 years for that line actually to finally work. <laughs> um, and so it turns out, I, I, I literally, I called my mom and I just said, hey, what street do we live on? Uh, where would I have gone to elementary school, et cetera? So I called Laura back and I'm like, look, we lived on Dallas Street. I would have gone to whatever elementary school. And she's like, oh my gosh. And that, of course, got me a date, et cetera, et cetera. And, it's good work. Know, 20 something years and uh and three kids like yeah we're still still that's uh, that's nice work that's humble beginnings i mean you know it's that's the recruiting gene has been inside you the whole time well, yeah, exactly. And so then, of course, yeah, my, you know, my, uh, my athletic ego takes a pounding as I'm sure yours does, yes, uh, does. around, yep. around our house, right? Yep. Is that my, my, uh, you know, three on three hoop it up intermediate division runner up trophy is next to the <laughs> national player of the year, Honda award, big 10 athlete of the year, you know, all these kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, no question. I married up in every sense, but athletically, no question. Yes. You mean, and I just, I, I just, I've accepted it. It just, I'm okay with it. All right. I'm secure uh, in it. I embrace it. Blake, yes. Blake, I know yes. you do too. Yes. I embrace it. Right? So one of my proudest things is that you know, for 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 guys like you and me, out kicking our coverage like that, it's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a lifelong goal. <laughs> One thousand percent. Oh, one thousand percent. So then, uh, to go back to to go back to your your coaching, you after Rhode Island, you you head back across the country again, right? So how did how did that happen? So when I started out at the University of Rhode Island, I worked for a woman named Linda Zemke, um, who was, again, one of the early pioneers, played for um, uh, Westchester, which is a team that lost to Immaculata and all those, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those early, you know, if, if you've seen some of those uh, documentaries about those first Final Fours and all those kinds of things. And uh, gosh, taught me a ton. Um, 
where there was a lot of staff turnover and uh, I sort of got promoted through attrition, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I was like, wait a second, you're going to pay me to come to the gym and go watch basketball. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I don't, my standards aren't going to be that much higher than that. It sounds pretty good. So, uh, I just wouldn't leave. And pretty soon I was the top assistant. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just, I, I got offered uh, an assistant job back at the university of San Diego, which is, um, you know, obviously I had tons of connections and friends and family out there on the West coast and, and was out there for, uh, I guess seven years. Um, and the, I really thought that that was going to be my, my path. I wanted that head coaching job so bad, you know, you, you know how many young assistants think they know everything about basketball and oh, that yeah. they're ready for everything. And I, I was certainly one of those. I think my ego was much bigger than it really deserved to be. Um, pretty sure I was God's gift to most things as, as most of us <laughs> guys probably were in our twenties. Yes. Um, yes. and, you know, when, when my, when my boss retired and I didn't get the job, you know, which, which I thought was my God given right, of course. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get hired by Kathy and at Boston college. And obviously it's a, you know, it was a, it was a huge step up and she, it was the first year that BC was going into the ACC. You know, they had mm-hmm. beaten UConn two of the last three times they had played them. Um, you know, that my first season there was the third sweet 16 in four year, you know, four year stretch. Um, and I learned all the things that I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I just, it, I, I finally learned to be a real coach and be held accountable. And Kathy was unbelievable in teaching me, pushing me. Um, I, I can't even tell you in the three years how much I learned uh, and how much I learned that, you know, that I cringe at how much I thought I knew before. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, sure. And, and, you know, how, how, how limited my, my knowledge, my perspective, um, you know, I just, I wish I could go back to those years, uh, at San Diego and be a better assistant coach. Um, and anyway, but, but look, as, as most of us, right, we learn those lessons and, um, and yeah. And then, and then when Kathy was, was stepping down as, as the head coach at BC, uh, I was fortunate enough to get my first head coaching job and I was in the right place at the right time and, um, it worked out. Yeah. Well, before, before we, before we jump to Denver, that, that last year at BC, you guys go to the sweet 16. So from a guy who had to be humbled a little bit and and realized what all you didn't know, you guys obviously were able to leverage what you did know into some success. What was that run like that that first time going into a tournament that deep? I I imagine that must've been pretty darn special. Oh, it was amazing. And Blake, remember, right? Is the, so the, the the Sweet Sixteen that you're speaking of was actually my first year at um, at BC. And you know, it's here's the crazy part about this business, right? Is suddenly I was marked as a brilliant coach and <laughs> and a winner and stuff like that. When you know, the reality is, and look, I like to think that I did some good scouting reports and you know, ran some really good individual workouts and things like that, right? But I mean come on, I walked into a team that was established. There was a culture, there was habits, there was a system, there was, you know, and, uh, but again, you know, now I'm, now I'm a sweet 16 winning ACC coach and suddenly my resume goes through the roof, right. Um, on the backs of all the work that had been done before I even got there, right. Really good players, really good recruiting, great assistants, a head coach that was established and all those things. So, um, but no, it was incredible, right. I mean, um, we beat Ohio state who had a 22 game winning streak. They were the one seed. Uh, we were the eight. So we won the eight, nine game against Notre Dame. And then 
got to knock off Ohio State, uh, which is my wife's alma mater. Yeah. Um, my my children are being brainwashed with Buckeye mania every day. <laughs> so, uh, so knocking knocking them off was uh, was enjoyable for me for uh, on lots of levels. Um, but yeah, I, look, I, I like I said, I was I was very very blessed. Um, to, to get to experience that. Uh, and I wish I, I wish I could take more credit for it. Um, but I had a very small piece of it. Yeah. Well, it's, it is funny because you're right that you get that label, which is great, right? I've been to the sweet 16. It's great. But, and you know, cause you've been in the business long enough. I, I know a lot of coaches who have a lot of sweet 16s that you go, I'm not sure about them as a coach. And so and I know some as uh, some coaches who have never been to the tournament that I'm like, those, that's an incredible, incredible right. coach, right? It just, right. It, it's, it's the superficial things. It's the, it's the, it's the flashy things, but it doesn't necessarily determine, you know, the type of coach you are. Uh, Dean, Dean Smith had a, had a, a quote I, I read at some point where he talked about, um, he said, look, you know, I, I, I think he was being interviewed about his 900 or thousands or, you know, whatever it was, all the wins and stuff. He said, look, most of that is due to the fact that I'm lucky enough to coach the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He said, I happen to work at a world-class university that, you know, cares about basketball and allows me to recruit the best players in the country and stuff like that. He said, look, there are so many coaches that are better than I am mm-hmm. that you've never heard of. Right. And I just went, you know, I said, yes, like, you know, he gets it right. He's very proud of what he does. He's clearly a great coach, but just because he, you know, he, he's pointing out that, those, you know, those wins aren't just because of Dean Smith, right? Yeah, right. Um, yep. You know, I, I remember sitting next to Debbie Ryan uh, watching, you know, when I was a very young assistant, uh, watching some recruiting, watching a point guard or something like that. And she mentioned, she made the comment to me about Don Staley. And she said, look, Don Staley gave me a career, right? You know, yeah. and it just, uh, you know, that, the humility of some of these, of these, these world-class Hall of Fame coaches to get it, to know, right? Yep. Hey, I was lucky enough to coach Don Staley. <laughs> right. Like, like, you know, and I, and I, I joke all the time about, you know, I, I had a, I had a point guard at Denver who is the reason I got the job at BC, right. Is that suddenly everybody came and was studying our offense and people were like, Oh my gosh, you guys run this Princeton dribble drive hybrid, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I got a really good point. You know, like to be honest with you, we were running the same stuff last year. It didn't look, didn't look quite as good. Yep, <laughs> right? yep. you, know, you guys weren't flying in to study our <laughs> offense last year. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, go, go get you a great kid who throws the ball to the open kid and doesn't turn it over. And boy, yeah. <laughs> you're offensive guru. Yeah. That's great. Well, well you go, you go to Denver. Um, you're there for four seasons. You have four winning seasons. Um, your last two, you win 19 WNIT. I mean, you really had a lot of success. For you, um, the first time you weren't on a state on the on the border in your coaching career, right? You're going coast, 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 <laughs> and finally land somewhere in the middle. Uh, for you, um, you mentioned when you go to BC, you realize all the things you didn't know, and I know that jump to your first head coaching job, you learn even more. Oh my gosh, I didn't, I don't know a lot of stuff. What was that transition for you in that first year at Denver? And again, you guys found success, so you, you figured it out. But what was that like your first year as a head coach? Yeah. Um, so first thing I'll mention is, is, you know, both the head coaching jobs that I've gotten, um, I was not the top choice, Blake. Mm. I was, uh, they, you know, the university of Denver, they really wanted Tanya Jave, who was a, a high school legend in, um, uh, in Colorado and, and you know, played at Tennessee and all this. And, and she was the head coach at the university of San Francisco at the time and turned down the job. Um, and, and which allowed, which allowed me the opportunity. And, and then at BC, they really wanted Matt Bowling, uh, who had had all that incredible success at, at Green Bay. 
Um, and when he turned down the job, <laughs> so, so, uh, again, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how certain, you know, just different events conspire and all that. Um, but at the university of Denver, it was a, it was a hidden gem to be honest. I'm very, very lucky to have gotten to coach in a place like that. And in my first head coaching job, beautiful facilities, great academics, gorgeous campus, just, uh, a fairly recent division one, uh, team. You know, people just didn't know about it. It just needed to be branded. It needed to be, hey guys, this is legit. This is basketball. Let's you know, let's go. And and uh, look, I hired a staff that I knew really, really well. Um, I I worked with a couple pros. I mean, Shelly Sheets hmm. uh, was another Colorado legend who had played at the at, at the University of Colorado. Um, so she was my street cred in Denver. Um, Yvonne Hawkins, who was my associate head coach, she and I had worked together at BC for a bunch of years and, and she followed me across the country and I hired a, a great young assistant who I had recruited, um, uh, when she was a player, Lisa Faulkner, who's now the head coach at Point Loma in San Diego. And I, look, you know, I was a rookie head coach trying to figure out, I never called a timeout, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out. And I had people that were unbelievably professional and loyal and just you know they'd come in and save me they're like eric we should probably do this do you want me to handle that and i'm like uh yeah that'd be great (laughs) just having people like that blake it was it was amazing and i did walk into a situation where the woman who had coached before pam tanner um had, had recruited some good kids so I walked into a bunch of kids that just, you know, the, the culture there, the, I think the relationships between the administration, the coaches and the players, just it gotten ugly. So all we really needed to do was come in and wrap our arms around the kids. Yeah. And, and, but they knew how to play basketball. They were good kids. Uh, so we were able to, to realize some success fairly quickly, um, which again, it, I think has a little bit to do with us. I, I like to think we did a good job, but it also had a lot to do with the situation. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, for you guys, when you, and again, winning season all four years, which you'll you'll take that ten out of ten times. But for you guys, when you when you really got it rolling, I mean, you you know you're beating Vanderbilt when they're coming off of a, a championship. Again, you're going to the NIT. For you guys, when you turn that corner, uh, how how did that happen? Was it was it just getting a really good point guard, or what, or what was it that that went into it where you guys start looking around and go, hey, I think we got it. I think we got something here. Yeah, look, they, they, uh, it's amazing when you have a, and any coach will tell you this, when you have a bunch of good kids who listen, play together, and buy into what you're selling, uh, it's amazing what you can accomplish, yeah. right? Is uh, you know the, the the Sun Belt was a little bit of a renegade league, uh, you know there was a there's a lot of uh, schools that just you know had a lot of transfers and JC kids and just kids from sort of colorful backgrounds yeah. and things like that, and and I used to talk to some of the other coaches and they would talk about how much time they spent on discipline and dramas and things like that and you know it's amazing you got a bunch of good kids and you can spend your time on timing of screens and rotations on defense how much how good you can get at basketball right when you're not worried about you know alice being nice to Susie and Mm -hmm. so-and-so won't pass the ball and -and so-and-so and someone won't show up on time and um so like i said i i I like to you know think that we did a nice job um but i also was blessed with a really good situation and, and kids who bought in and, and just kept getting better every year and a few recruits that came in and meshed and some leaders that came and wrapped their arms around the new recruits and i mean you know like you know as a coach there's so much that happens that you really can't control um and we like to think we can influence it and we can mm-hmm. um but again i i can't take credit for the fact that there were some good kids who welcomed us listened to us um, and, and, you know, set, and set a good culture. Yeah. Well, and 
when you when you when you hit it, when you hit your stride like that too, just the and it, it, like you said, the the fact that we get paid to be in a gym is a, a bit absurd anyway. But <laughs> but when things are clicking on that end, like the amount of joy and positivity, and just like you wake up every day where you're like, this is so ridiculous that this is what I get to do. It's it's pretty incredible once you've got that culture piece set. Yeah, no, look, hundred percent. Yeah, and and you know, you're you're a coach, and 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 you know, every day in the gym, you know, you can bring great energy. You can bring, you can set up the most incredible practice plan. But when you have a couple kids that walk in the gym, and I look, I I got the I got the experience of going to a couple UConn practices, and uh, I was lucky enough to go see UConn practice when they had Stewie. Uh, Mariah Jefferson and uh, Morgan Tuck, right? They're the number one, two, three picks in the draft were seniors and things like that, right? So I'm, I'm watching a practice and, you know, Gino was in jeans and his Dunkin' Donuts coffee coming over and, just, you know, shooting the breeze with the coaches that were watching over there. And, you know, and Stewie stops the drill and says, no, no, we're, we're not talking loud enough. Set that back to zero. We're, you know, um, you know, and, and Gino's again was very, very humble about that. It's just because I, I said, Gino, I've never seen a practice where every kid, sprinted talked had their hands up the entire time hustled right you know yeah. and there was zero drama not one eye roll not one palms up oh i didn't know you know <laughs> and he said Eric, look like i like to think we do a good job it's, it's same thing that i just said to you. He yeah. goes, but he goes look when you have a kid with mariah jefferson who i can say whatever i want to and i can light her up and all she does is look me in the eye and say yeah okay Johnny, i'm coach i'm gonna turn that ball over again i got you because everybody else falls in line. We, mm. he, and he points to Stewie. He goes, look, who stopped that drill? I'm like, the best player in the country. He goes, yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, when you can get that, and that's why it's so magical when you have it, Blake. You know that, right? When yep. you can get that yep. group of kids, when you can get those couple of leaders, man, you're a good coach. Yeah, yeah. And everything <laughs> works, right? And, and when you don't, man, you can do everything right. You can, you know, and, and, and if you don't quite have that, you know, that combination or you got some drama, whatever, man, it just, just saps everything else. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's special. It, yeah. it, it really is when you have it and you should enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. Well, we, and we talk about it now more than ever, even though it's always been the case where that relationship piece, it does matter, but, and it matters in terms of the kids enjoying their experience where they're at, but it also matters in finding those kids. Like you've really, you can't just recruit them because she's ranked, you know, 10th in the country. Like, well, you really got to build a relationship. So, you know, the type of human being you're bringing into your program because it affects everything. So. No question. And it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I think getting harder, um, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. is. And look, I fell into one of the traps at BC that I've always, that I used to, when I was a mid-major coach, both at San Diego or at uh, Denver, that I used to make fun of people for. I'd say, oh, you know, look at, look at those big time coaches recruiting that kid. You know, she's not, she's going to be a program wrecker. She's talented, but yeah. et cetera. But they feel like they have to do it to compete or whatever. And, and look, I made some, I made some mistakes recruiting, uh, some kids that, you know, not bad human beings. That's not, that's not what I mean. Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs here, right? Of course. I mean, you're coaching at a place like Boston college. You're not talking about, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, hor- but, but, but there's a difference between what I just described about Mariah Jefferson's attitude or Stewie's leadership or what I had at Denver. And, you know, even when you are intentional about trying to find that sometimes you're wrong, right? I, yeah. I'll be honest with you. The point guard that I was referencing, Emiko Smith, who I, who I basically say, you know, gave, gave me, she helped me get the Boston college job by making me look like a genius for four years or, or three years. I guess that I coached her at Denver. 
she was a backup that I basically took because we had a, a, a Canadian national team point guard. And I was friends with, with Emmy's coach. And, you know, I'm like, she's a good kid. It's always good to have a good backup point guard. She's not a bad player. But she was honestly a little bit of a, uh, a chunky five, two and a half. <laughs> you know, like, doesn't look like a basketball player. Uh, she comes in her, in, in her freshman year. The Canadian kid gets homesick and goes home. And I hand Emmy the keys to the car. And she was unbelievable, right? And, and I mean, anyone who tells you on my staff that we knew exactly that she was going to be all that is lying to you, right? <laughs> and and look, I, I've heard similar stories from a lot of coaches at BC or otherwhere. You know, just people saying, "Where'd you get that kid?" You know, and it's like, man, we we thought maybe she'd be okay, but wow, she's amazing, <laughs> right? So, you know, sometimes you have to get lucky on some of those, yeah. and sometimes, unfortunately, you get lucky the other, or you get unlucky the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so take me to, to BC. You, you get there, you take the job. I mean, you you said when you took it, like, you know, this place pulls at my heartstrings, obviously being there before. It's a team that or a program you thought, hey, this is we can go to the final four. Why not? Why couldn't we go there? And sure. you're going into the ACC and you do all that. Uh, and obviously that that doesn't happen. You're there for six years. You, you, you alluded to some of the recruiting stuff. But what what was it that for you, especially now with with hindsight in your pocket? What why didn't work? You know, why, why yeah. weren't you guys able to get there? Great, great, great question. Um, so look, I, I guess if I start at the very beginning, when we walked into Denver, right, which was my head coaching experience, we had a good group of kids and all we really needed to do was embrace them, uh, you know, sell them on our system and the way we, you know, our culture, you know, those kinds of things. And they bought in and, and, and things started to roll. Uh, I thought I could do that again. I overestimated my ability to change hearts and minds of players that weren't in a space to be able to be embraced and be great teammates and be great leaders and those kinds of things. And, and the culture at BC, again, the relationships and just some of the, some of the personalities that were there, um, you know, thing I, I was taking over a very different program and I don't think I, I really recognized that. Um, as well, I kind of thought, Hey, I'm the great communicator. I'll come in and everyone will buy in. And I just need to, you know, that I, I can get this kid to play for us and I can get this kid to buy in and be a great teammate and be selfless and all these things. And, and, uh, you know, I probably needed to be more intentional about, um, really managing the roster and, and, you know, you hate to say getting rid of players and things like that. Cause that's at a place like BC, that's not the culture. And that's not really the way I believe, you know, there's a lot of coaches that come in and, well, this is, you know, you guys aren't my players and wait till we get my kind of players in here. And, things. Yeah. and I've always said, that's not the right way to go. You should embrace your team and you should, you're my players. But unfortunately, there were some kids that just they weren't the right fit and they weren't going to buy into us. Um, and look, you know, could a better coach have 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 won them over? Maybe. Um, but I didn't. And you know, we kind of let some issues hang around and it and it poisoned a little bit of some of the new kids that came in that could have probably gone either way. Could have been great kids if they'd had the right, you know, mentorship and stuff like that. But then they get kind of caught up in some negativity and everything. And so it just took too long. Yeah. It took too long. And so, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, 
the re, the reality is is that the, the last team that I coached was a team of all freshmen and sophomores, and uh, you know finally had the the culture that we wanted and great kids and stuff like that. We were just freshmen and sophomores, and you know we still weren't winning games in year six. And you know this business, yep. right? that's yep. That's, yep. that's a recipe with a new athletic director <laughs> for hey, it's time to make a change, right? And yeah. and, and I get it, I 100 percent get it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's that's probably about as as as, as straight uh, you know an analysis as I as I could give you. Yeah, was I mean we we talk about your story and it and it's so fun and it, and it goes so well. Like, would would you consider? I, I imagine it is, but I mean, is that is that the low point? Like when you look back on your 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 tenure as a coach, is that is that the low point where when you when you leave BC and you just look around and go, man, this is this is tough, or, or how did no you know? no? So I mean, look, people people see it like that, right? Yeah, like you yeah. know that oh my gosh, you know he he failed at BC or whatever. Like and, that, and again, the, you know, going back to our point about you know. <laughs> I'm not a genius when we when we win games, and I'm not an idiot when we lose, right? And mm-hmm. and, and and most coaches aren't, right? You know, and look, um, you know, so much has to do with the circumstances around you. And, and again, the longer you're in the game, and the, the more experienced coaches you talk to, that's why I bring out that Dean Smith example, or that Debbie Ryan example, right? Of like just, you know, these Hall of Fame coaches recognizing how how humble you know and, and how fortunate they are to be able to um to have been in some of the circumstances they are and again that's my that's what i put i wasn't a genius that came in and created this incredible thing at denver like i like i think i'm a good coach i think i'm a good guy i think i had a good staff you know but the the situation worked mm-hmm. right and at bc um, look, it wasn't BC wasn't a disaster, right? You know, we 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 there's so many things I'm proud of in the time of BC, and so many players that I'm thrilled had those relationships. And look, I, we're also playing in a heck of a, <laughs> heck of a week, right? I mean, you know, we, we, there was a there was a season where we went, I think we went uh, we went 12 and one non-conference and went two and 14 in, in ACC play. And, you know, I remember we had won seven in a row going into conference play and we think we lost our first three ACC games and the press was saying, coach, you know, all right, tough times. Your team's not playing as well now. I'm like, no, no, we're playing great. We just played <laughs> at Notre Dame, Bullville at home uh, and, you know, and yeah. Syracuse on the road. I'm like, like, you know, we played number one in the country, number four in the country, number six in the country. <laughs> like, 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 you know, so it's, it's, you know, Blake, you, you and I, we're competitors. We know, right? Yeah. But look, the, the media, the public perception, yep. it's not, it's not real, yep. right? They don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not God's greatest gift when, when we, when we knocked off Duke, you know, we hit some big shots, their kids missed a couple shots and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and nor am I an idiot when we, you know, when we lose a two point game at Syracuse, you know, it's their kid made a shot and our kid didn't make a shot. Right. And so, uh, look, I, I you know, I, as a coach, of course you go back and you say, what could I have done better? What can, I mean, that's our job, right? We yeah. tell our players, what could you do better? Right? And coaches, what could we do better? Uh, but no, I don't look at that as a low point at all. I love my time at BC. I love the relationships at BC. Um, you know, uh, Martin Jarman, the new AD. I, I, like, I get it. If I was in his spot, coming in brand new with a coach with one year left on his contract who had 
won games and an opportunity to, to bring in a new, your own hire to a new team uh, with all freshmen and sophomores and great kids and a opportunity for you know success in the future and a great hire. I, and and look, Joanna, the coach there's doing a wonderful job. She's mm-hmm. you know she came in, embraced our kids. Um, seems like she's creating great culture. I've enjoyed watching them play. So I mean, you know, it, it's it's a business, Blake, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we're you know sometimes we're the the benefactor, the beneficiaries of, uh, of those circumstances and all that. Um, and you know, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, as we all say, it's a crappy business, but I mean, it it is what it is. I I don't, I don't regret a bit of it. Yeah. That's awesome. How about now? Uh, you're, you're, you're out, you're out of coaching. Well, you're out of collegiate coaching, I should Ah, say. Yes. Yes. Let me correct that. Um, but what's it been like for you to, you know, you're, you're in this thing for 20 plus years and now you're able to step back a little. How, how's it been the last few years for you? Yeah. So, so look, the, the, I, I didn't get out of college coaching because I hated it. Um, the reality is and people don't realize that this is actually our job and how we feed our family. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we all have lives and homes and children and, or, you know, like just, and for me, I had high school kids. And so what was fun in my twenties with Laura and I hopping around the country from San Diego to Boston to Denver and back to Boston. And, you know, the kids were either young or we didn't have them yet. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not sure that that's the life I want to live anymore. Right. You know, and so the, the reality, Blake, is the next job in college athletics for me is probably a, a, a huge move somewhere uh, that, that maybe I'm not as excited about living somewhere else. Um, probably a huge pay cut uh, and moving high school kids probably to move again. Right. Because right? let's be honest with you. Right. The, the next move is probably go be a, an assistant or a lower level head coach somewhere. And then for a couple of years and then get back to another job yep. and maybe another job. And I, do I really want my girls going to three different high schools? Cause dad just likes being in the gym. And <laughs> so I, you know, I just decided, look, I, I you know, I, I had a great run. <laughs> I, I got no complaints. I got to live in San Diego, Denver and Boston. I kept my soul intact, my family intact in a crazy business worked at some beautiful, wonderful universities, you know, like I'm good. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I just, I basically took the fact that the skill sets that we have to have in, in this business, um, you know, are actually really, really applicable in all worlds. Right. And yep. they we're not defined just by basketball. Right. And not look, a basketball will always be a huge part of my life. I love the game. Um, but it doesn't have to be my vocation. It doesn't have to be the way I feed my family. Right. Um, and so I basically took the fact that, I, you know, been running a multimillion dollar organization. Right. Because at that level, yeah, it's a little sure. bit about basketball and it's a lot about people, obviously. But but business development, sales, marketing, PR, recruiting, strategic planning, I mean, staff management. I mean, so I created a resume um, basically for people who, who could care less about point guard footwork or breaking down a one, three, one zone, but might care a great deal about, uh, all those other things. And, and a lot of people don't know, they don't know, Blake, that you're, you're an administrator. Yeah. You are, yeah. you're a CEO, right? yeah, absolutely. you know, and, and when you get to go on the court for a couple hours, that's like the great, that's the break. <laughs> that's the break. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. People, most people have no idea that, you know, they think, well, what do you do in the off season? Right. right? You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. You know, and, and, or they just say, we just go and just do roll the ball, do some jumping jacks and stuff like that. Right. So I went on a, a networking journey just in, in a, in, you know, really just talking to a lot of my people and people I got introduced to around the Boston business community, just looking for the best culture and opportunity and mentorship that I could find. Um, in, and, you know, ended up at a financial services firm where I'm doing 
basically, Blake, what you and I have been doing for our whole careers anyway. I'm, I'm going out and looking for great people and, and, and hiring, you know, and again, it's, it's when you're recruiting a kid, right? It's a nuance. Partly, do we want this kid? Partly, can we get this kid? Right. right? Well, it's the same thing in hiring, right? Every time I'm running across a candidate, how much is, does he or she, you know, impact our culture? Is this fit? And how much is, can we make, can we get her? Mm-hmm. Can we get him? Right. You know, is, and, and, you know, the, and then developing new people, right. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. okay. It's a different set of X's and O's, but it's still, it's how do you motivate? Thing. How do yeah. you, you know, I, I do a lot of work now for positive coaching Alliance. Yep. Um, and again, the PCA mission, right. Is, is, it's, it's, it's not just about sports. It's how do you get the best out of your people, right. Is, is, is yelling at your sales team and telling them they're all getting fired if they don't hit their numbers. Is that really <laughs> the best way to, to, to drive performance or is connecting and inspiring and teaching and things like that. Right. So I mean, look, the coaching skill set is unbelievably ac- applicable. Um, and I really believe that you could take people like, like, like us and most of our coaching, um, you know, friends and cohorts and put us in almost any boardroom in America. And we'd make a positive difference because of the lives we've lived and the experiences we've had. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, where, where does this come from, Eric? You're, you're, cause you are, I mean, if you talk to anyone around this business that knows you, it, and I'm not saying this to, to blow smoke at you, but like really everyone you talk to just, they adore you. They talk about how great of a guy you are. You're like, you just, everyone knows that you are a fundamentally decent human being. And for you to just exert this, this positive energy all the time, like, is that rooted somewhere? Like what, where is that from? Uh, Blake, I mean, I don't think I'm that different from so many, uh, you know, so many of us. Uh, I, I believe that this business that, that, that I was in for many years that you're still in, you know, it attracts some great human beings. I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you the, the amount of uh, just, you know, friends and mentors and, and, you know, colleagues and stuff like that, that I feel like you could, you, what you just described about me and thank you for the kind words. But, you know, it's, it's so similar, that relentless energy, you know, like you've got to have juice to do what you do every day. Yeah. And I mean, Blake, you got to <laughs> like yeah. to be able to come into that gym when you're tired, when you're beat up by the press, when you lost a game, when, you know, the, these kinds of things. And you got a bunch of knuckleheads, you know, <laughs> you know, 18, 19 year olds who are God knows what they were doing last night. And stuff, <laughs> you know, and I mean, look, it takes special people to do what we do. So, look, I don't think I'm uh, thank you, by the way, for saying that. But I think that that's. I think that's what I'm talking about is I think so many of us in order to do what we've done in the coaching world, we have to have those, those, those genes and, and those, whatever that is, that energy and those kinds of things. And, uh, um, and that's, again, my point is that those are not just coaching basketball skills. Those are life skills. Those are, you know, how do you go make people around you better? Um, you know, like I, I'll go back to my point guard that I keep talking about, Emmy Smith. Uh, she happened to be a great point guard. She's also, I hired her at BC because she's a kid that just makes everything around her better. Yeah. I, I, hired her, I hired her as a graduate assistant. She didn't even want to get into coaching. I just was like, I mean, I just whatever you do, everything gets better. I mean, you <laughs> know, so when you find people like that, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a softball coach, uh, you know, financial services, you know, professional, uh, you know, in corporate real estate and, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is. I mean, there's, uh, and I will tell you, Blake, it's, it's, it's been fascinating in my professional journey since, since leaving the, the profession of coaching, how many amazing people there are that are doing amazing things outside the gym. Mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. I had no idea. <laughs> I thought everyone outside the gym, it wasn't basketball coaches. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> a bunch of muggles. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it turns out there's some really cool people that are, that are amazing. The, the, the president, uh, of, of the firm who, 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 where I'm working or hired me, 
is honestly everything I've always tried to be as a coach. He is the most kind, humble servant leader. Uh, you are the most important person in the room. And again, I really, really believe if he was coaching any sport, he was a baseball guy, but you know, uh, that, that, you know, he, he has that and he's been an incredibly successful business owner because he's relentlessly positive and he truly connects and truly cares and, you know, will do anything for his people. Right. Like, yeah. am I describing a basketball coach right. or am I describing a business leader? Right. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, one, one, well, I'll, two more questions. I'll get you out of here. I know something else that you are. Well, maybe, maybe you aren't passionate about it, but you're pretty good at it. You're a runner, right? You run. Like, that's what you do. Is that? And it's funny because before you and I had even interacted at any point, I remember like, oh yeah, that that guy Denver, he he runs a lot. Like I just, it's something that you you notice. <laughs> when when did that come into uh, come into your life? Well, uh, look, I was. <laughs> I guess early as a college player, I was the slow guy who could win the mile run and get my butt kicked in, a, in an 11 second sprint. But, um, uh, so I always liked being in shape, but I will tell you the running really became a bigger part of my life. Um, you probably know the story of, of my son. Yeah. So we lost a yeah. child when I was, um, when I was at the, when I was the head coach at Denver, my son Davis was born here in Boston. Uh, when I was an assistant at BC, he lived for two years here and, uh, he lived for two more years in, in Denver and passed away suddenly. Um, every parent's worst nightmare, right? It's just something you just, you, you don't think it ever happened. 50 healthy, 50 pound, four year old without a trouble in the world has a tummy ache one night. We take him to the ER. Uh, he, they check him out. He gets sent home and he dies in his sleep within three hours of leaving the ER. And, um, you know, I, I came in and found him, um, you know, was unsuccessful with CPR and all this. And just, I mean, the, the worst thing you can imagine as a parent. And, um, you know, my family saved me, um, you know, having my, my daughters were six and eight at the time and, and, you know, getting out of bed because your six year old wants to read a book and have a bowl of cereal. Like you don't get to sit in bed and just be, you know, be depressed and those kinds of things you have to find ways. And, and then I will tell you running, running was my way. I was a little bit like Forrest Gump for those years. My staff will tell you mm -hmm. uh, they would be days. I just having a tough day. And I just, my stomach hurt. It's just the grief was just overwhelming. And I would just be like, guys, I'm going to go for a run. And I'd end up in like downtown Denver, like seven <laughs> miles from campus or something like that, you know, and I have to run back or whatever, you know, and I, so at some point I was running so much because again, I just, I was trying to make my legs hurt worse than my stomach. Mm. <laughs> and, and it was unbelievable mental health, uh, you know, assistance for me. And I finally decided, well, I'm running so much. I should probably train for a marathon or something. So I as well get something out of this. And, um, so I've, I've done it, done a few. Um, and in fact, I actually just ran the Boston marathon this year. Yeah. Uh, it was on my son's birthday. So the original Boston marathon date was literally my, so what would have been my son's 14th birthday yeah. and almost exactly 10 years since he died. And, uh, so when they canceled the marathon because of the pandemic, I got all these text messages cause I was raising money for a hospital. I raised 20 grand for the local hospital mm. and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, I got all these text messages like, Eric, I'm so sorry. I know that date meant a lot to you. And I was like, well, it's not my problem. If no one else shows up, that's the day I'm running the Boston marathon. <laughs> so, but like I'll, 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 I'll close with this, with this piece of the story. So obviously during the pandemic, uh, they didn't want crowds gathering. And so on April 20th, which is my son's birthday and the original, um, Boston marathon day, the mayor of Boston is telling people do not run the Boston Marathon course on this day. I do not want crowds gathering. I don't want medical professionals to have to deal with people getting hurt, et cetera. You're not a hero if you run. 
And I, to be honest, I, I agree. I, I totally support it. Um, at the same point, this is, this is my journey. And, and yep. I had my wife, I had my wife drop me off at the starting line at 2 a.m. And I ran from two to six a.m. and I crossed the finish line as the sun was cr- was was right was coming up before anybody else came out. Nobody saw me, <laughs> and, I, uh, and I got the stupid thing done. So I uh, I unofficially ran the Boston Marathon oh. on, on my son's birthday. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. That's uh, nah official. That's official. We're counting that as official without a doubt. <laughs> Thank so, you. Uh, well, Eric, I'll I'll let you let you leave on this. Uh, you've been super gracious with your time, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, if you and this is an impossible question, so. Apologies beforehand, but if you could sum up, wrap up um, your experiences that you had as a coach uh, and just kind of try to give a cliff note version of the biggest lessons you learned through it, what, what would those things be? Yeah. So, I mean, one is obviously to, to remain humble, um, and, and know how much, you know, how lucky we are to get to what we to do, what we do and how much is of your success. And as a head coach, right, you, you get way too much blame and way too much credit. Um, you know, and so, you know, to know that, that, you know, when you're winning games, it probably had a lot to do with, uh, you know, the fact that you got some pretty good players and probably work at a good school and, and have a good staff around you. And when you're losing, it doesn't mean that you're a loser, that you're an idiot, that you did everything wrong. It means that, you know, maybe the other team played really, really well. Maybe you, you had a couple injuries. Maybe, you know, there's some circumstances that you can't control. And so I think the biggest thing is, is to be the best you can be every day, control the things you can control, be focused on, uh, on what really matters and not get caught up in what I call the fluff Right, the the glitz and the glamour, the charter flights and the 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 the, the you know the news articles and everything. You know, when my wife, when I got, got the job at BC, my wife started reading all the blogs because okay. everyone was saying such wonderful things about me, right? And I, oh, this great new coach and Eric is doing amazing things. And I said, stop reading it. It's not real. Yeah. Like it's not real, right? Because I said one day we're going to lose some games, and you're not going to want to read that stuff. That's right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, and, and sure, that's exactly right. You know, at, at BC, that's that's exactly what happened, right? And and look, it, you know, I was not God's gift at the beginning, nor was you know, nor was I a loser at the end, and all that. And so, um, I, I would say that just that that piece of advice is probably the best thing I could tell uh, other coaches in it is stay focused on what matters. Right. The relationships, who you are, what you're doing, what, you know, what the, 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 you're creating great human beings. You're making a difference in the world. You're getting to coach an unbelievably fun sport that is you know, a passion for, you know, for all of us. Uh, and, and don't get caught up in the crap. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, Eric, I uh, I greatly appreciate you taking the time this morning. Uh, really was fun getting to to learn kind of the nitty gritty details of, of your journey. It's been a it's been a fun one to see from afar, and I uh, I I really really appreciate you you being willing to share it with me. Well, like I, I, I so appreciate you. A look, this is an honor to come on. But uh, I think I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a huge fan. Your voice out there for the women's basketball community, for women in general, uh, for social justice, for racial equality, uh, is just awesome. And I, I'm, uh, I, you've you've become a, a bit of a social media star in I think all the right ways. Um, you know, social media obviously has some, you know, so, so many negative connotations, but it's also a platform for good. And I just so appreciate the way you use your voice and your platform to to go make the world a better place. And so, uh, count me as a huge fan. And if there's ever anything I can do to support everything you're doing, man, you you, you let me know. I'll be there anytime. 
Well, extremely kind words there by Eric, and I, I appreciate them very much. And uh, I appreciate you for listening. I hope you enjoyed his story as much as I did, uh, getting to talk to him. You know, it's it's funny because you obviously appreciate and enjoy every episode that you record and get the chance to talk to someone and appreciate the time they take out. But some of them just kind of click a little bit more than others, and I felt like that was that was today. So I appreciate Eric's time and appreciate you guys listening. Uh, to the jump round. Uh, wherever you listen, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, uh, it's appreciated. If you can leave a rating or review wherever you listen, that'd be great. It's very helpful to me. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is the jump round. <laughs>